Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. On today's episode, we speak with Frederick Wuerl, who is Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at the University of California, Berkeley. Frederick and podcast host Amit Alawalia discuss the need for a consolidated administration to deliver a seamless lifelong learning experience that students demand. Frederick, welcome to the Illumination podcast. It's great to be chatting with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Absolutely. So we're live at the UPSIA conference uh, here in Washington, D.C. And uh, Frederick actually wrote a piece for us, I'd say, four months ago, three months ago now, mm-hmm. uh, talking about sort of his, his perception of, of the importance of creating more streamlines between uh, different parts of the institution when it comes to the delivery of continuing ed and lifelong learning. That's going to be the focus of our conversation here today. As a starting point, why is there so much institution-wide interest in finding ways to do sort of continuing education, micro-credentialing, alternative credentialing? You know, wh- why the fuss? <laughs> uh, I think it's been, a, it's been a long time coming, but I, I would say general, generally two things. That the first one, evidently, there, there is some interest in, in the potential to generate excess revenue for right. a department that it's, it's kind of unmarked and you can use for innovation, for new projects. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's just something that is, is not necessarily a given, right? In, in many institutions, departments, is you get grants and so on. You have to exactly spend everything for that specific research project and so on. So that is, is very attractive. But I would say more so than, than even that perspective, there are just faculty out there in, in, in al- almost any discipline who are just excited about the, the impact that they can have, mm. the other thing that they could do that takes them out of their, their like standard, if you want, uh, practice and day-to-day uh, operation. So not surprisingly, you have people that get engaged in, in building institutes or, right. or centers, um, that, that try to reach certain communities, that, that try to create curriculum and content in a, in a format that makes it accessible, um, that doesn't exist currently with the existing number of degrees that an institution offers. From the Berkeley perspective, it's very interesting because Berkeley traditionally really didn't have, for example, many master programs. Right. And self-supporting masters offer a very, I would say, a more maybe flexible and and interesting way to explore different types of sub disciplines fields sure. that that certain faculty really feel passionate about and and feel they have an added value to the department to the students um, and themselves really that's really interesting and you know it's the best of intentions sometimes <laughs> right because the, the beauty of it is that whether it's for the revenue purpose, whether it's because there's a recognition that there's more that can happen. There's this really beautiful thing in having more and more people recognize that their expertise and their their focus can appeal to and engage a much wider audience. Now, I'm curious to your take here, what are some of the drawbacks to the fact that this is happening kind of in isolation from at, at some institutions to the faculty member level, at some institutions at the unit level, and, and at others at the, co- at, the, at the college level, but really creating multiple sort of silos of differentiated approaches to non-credit and alternative credentialing activity happening across the institution. What, what are some of the, the cons of, of taking that siloed approach? I think the, the most obvious one is that everyone 
bounces into eventually when they venture into creating new programming, new curriculum and, and wanting to build a certificate or even a degree is if you are an expert in a subject matter, you're an academic, you're very smart, you're very competent, but you just really don't know all it takes from the legislation, from the data privacy right. protection, from the just mere operation mm -hmm. um, to the creation of documentation for approval and so on and so forth. Um, so it's, it's, if you have a lot of people that are excited in, in venturing into self-supporting programming, um, you, I think it's a good idea to provide them with the services and the experts yeah. that can support them. And it's quite interesting because, just think about it, there's relatively few people in the United States, for example, or globally, who actually know how to design a successful self-supporting program. And so the idea It's a that specific you, challenge, yeah. yeah. And the idea that you could just literally have, I don't know, take somebody who works in your team, figure it out, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's somewhat ridiculous and it's, it's particularly inefficient. Um, and to be honest, a campus can be consider themselves happy if they are able to get a few one two yeah a few actual experts in continuing education academic design innovation uh, for the entire campus who help architect and, and structure those things so that they actually work absolutely you know what's what's kind of fascinating there is is it there is a complexity to the management of this work and what what actually throws me the most is that, you know, use the example, of it would be really tough to just assign someone in your unit to do it. <laughs> but I think what actually happens is it's not even assigned to any one person as their full-time focus. It's, oh, no. Generally speaking, it's off the side of someone's desk. And, you know, what from a student perspective, I mean, what kind of impact does that have on their perception of the institution, their perception of the learning experience, yeah. if those kinds of factors and features mm. of their interaction with the university are, are, you know, conducted off the side of Janet's desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, there's a certain reality that in many institutions, faculty just have no access to gain deeper understanding of the entire administration of the, yeah. of the university as a whole. Mm -hmm. I can give a very easy example. Um, naturally, I would say, and understandably, um, from a faculty perspective, the bulk of the work uh, to create or deliver a course is the, the subject matter expert um, building the syllabus, building each session slide deck, the assignments, the assessments, the grading. But actually, if you know the back end, the admin side, you know that in most cases that represents about 20 to 30 percent right. of the, the work and also revenue. So while as, as a faculty person, if, if there is potential to generate revenue, you expect 99 percent, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you will maybe more likely get uh, 20 to 30 percent. And the the it's it's no one's fault other than maybe the institution that has not um, 
that doesn't have the resources for the, the, the faculty to really understand the, the, the back end. And that, I think, can be and should be in more organizations and universities uh, a serious role of the continuing education division or unit. Right. To, to like internally just inform, by the way, this is how an education organization works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all the things we need to consider. Here's the, the, the legal framework. Here's the, all the, the check boxes that we have to, to go through and, and just lay it out. And for what it's worth, when, when we do this um, with our division, we realize how much it takes to, to convey all of this. And, and we are therefore currently trying to figure out better ways to communicate that the value, the complexity, the, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it kind of brings us into this, the, the, I guess, the core of the, the, <laughs> the discussion. Because I'm curious, you know, as you think about consolidating that ad administration, I mean, how does that process of consolidating administration of institution-wide continuing ed into a single unit really help to overcome some of those obstacles, especially around the inconsistency, around the lack of expertise, uh, around the, the, the foundational challenges of trying to manage revenue at minimum revenue neutral, self-sustaining at best <laughs> revenue generating programming. It's actually an interesting point that you're, you're just making at the very end of, yeah, of the, uh, at two best different revenue pieces. generating. Yeah. Um, I am yet to see masters that really are considerably revenue generating once you get, like really do the cost accounting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so if you see fair. the actual yeah. bottom line, because it's more um, than just faculty costs. There's a lot that goes into the, so the costs of a, of a post-secondary program. And and that is actually a thing where it makes sense, for example, to have a group of experts um, on campus who, who centralize that, if it, even if it's just for the capacity to properly budget and account for it and report back, for example, to the provost's office. Right. Um, because, and to the division or department itself because they something that might look relatively healthy um, with a, a quick uh, budget that you put together based on, on compensation um, if you figure factor in everything that you're putting in um, and all the overhead you might be having extremely low um, margins if any right right so that is one advantage if, you, if you're able to 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 create a centralized unit and um, again, this goes uh, back to one thing I was saying earlier is you can be lucky if you have, if you are able to recruit the few, a few of the few <laughs> experts mm -hmm. in the field who are able to do that. And you won't find dozens of them for each individual department. So there's just a reality that you probably need to be able to have this in one, um, one unit. Um, I've like looking around uh, organizations, universities across uh, the U.S. and also in Canada, for example. There is an issue, though, is that continuing education has been around for a while. Yeah. And I would say the maybe the 90s and 2000s were really marked by a, in many, many cases, by rapid growth, uh, focused a lot on uh, on actual revenue generation right. in, in those... Um, in those uh, CE units, so, 
And one of the issues there is to be able to do that effectively is you need to really have a lot of independence, particularly in hiring your, your instructors, yes. in, in the oversight you have. And we're coming from, therefore, a, a tradition of basically having very um, sound and very self-sufficient academic departments that really are in parallel to other departments and other colleges and schools across campus. Um, and and there is now this, this question more lately with these wishes to integrate everything is how do we do that because they are academic departments in their own rights. Yep. Like they're not a ugly duckling better version or or like I don't know the the <laughs> mass market version yeah, yeah, yeah. of the the elite uh, other department they they really do complementary programming they do different programming and they are absolute experts in what they do mm -hmm. but they don't fit in the standard right because uh, it, it's a different focus it's still yeah yeah I mean it, it's it's an a huge expertise that, that for somebody who who is fully in in matriculated student world and college and grad world it's it, naturally they you can't understand what continuing education is if you haven't really yeah. like dug into it and yeah. it is absolutely different like i've i've myself but i've seen many researchers faculty step into a classroom with professional learners and just like be shaken to the bones yeah <laughs> yeah in that experience so different and, and different environments some really are like never again <laughs> <laughs> and others are like oh my gosh this was the most amazing experience um and those are the ones who actually like to oftentimes really be challenged and think on their feet yeah. because professionals will not sit there for an hour an hour and a half just taking it whatever you say they will just immediately say like it's interesting what you're saying but here's how it works in my reality mm -hmm. so what do you say about that and so it's it's another dynamic um, but it's just radically different in many many ways not just the administration and you need somebody to administer something that is closer to an e-commerce business if you want right. you also need to understand andragogy yeah the learning experience yeah. in and of itself like every part of the product yeah. starts to become very unique and that's it's kind of fascinating because when we think about the that decentralized model and you know we think about you know you mentioned through the 90s and early 2000s the incredible revenue generating power of, of continuing ed that, that was mm. realized in that period was followed by a great decentralization mm. so you had a number of faculties say well it, this is adjacent information to what we do. Yep. We should own that. Um, and then we saw a broad decline in the overall revenue generated, the overall enrollment numbers in continuing ed because it was, it was shifted out of a unit where the adult learner was at the center and more towards one where the adult learner was a peripheral priority. Uh, and it, it is kind of fascinating to think how every single element of that product has to be oriented to the adult learner. It's not just the administration. It's not just that e-commerce experience. It's also what what the program is on the other side. Yeah, I mean that's really the the, the fact that you we talk about andragogy, not mm -hmm. pedagogy. Yep. And it's it is it is very very different. It's from the the life course um, to the asynchronous course. It, it is different, and it needs to be different. 
um, and it's beautiful it's in its own way and it, it makes a big big impact I mean look at the like our, our university uh, at Berkeley we have 30,000 roughly undergraduates 15,000 graduates and 20,000 professional students mm -hmm. like that's a, a huge that's part not of the organization <laughs> which to be honest is not on the radar of many many people other institutions like um, UC San Diego for example they have taken the step to really recognize extended education at the same level as graduate education and undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. They have undergrad division led by dean, graduate division led by dean, and extended education led by dean reporting directly to the provost yes. and being part of the provost cabinet. Mm -hmm. And that's very interesting as a step and then I think that's where many, many institutions will go towards um, because that recognition from leadership the structural integration yeah. is something that will just make, I guess, faculty also just more comfortable knowing that mm -hmm. they, well, they have to work with them. So, <laughs> yes, it'll cost something, but at the end of the day, they're still, still winning. Mm -hmm. And particularly one thing that I think the people that partner with continuing education successfully at the end of the day really, really, really appreciate <laughs> is the de-risking and, and just being like, just doing what you like to do, the academics right. of it, the subject matter expertise, and not having to worry about the rest. Like not having to worry about, oh, here is a case where a student has some issue or there's a complaint or there's a grievance or there's something with the partner that doesn't go wrong. Mm -hmm. There's an account that isn't paid. Um, creating the section, like everything, that, all that back end, that generates enormous risks and not just work yeah. and, and just being absolved of that. Absolutely. So as, as you think about, you know, more and more institutions beginning to try to establish this model now, and let's, let's be honest at every institution, this model will look differently depending mm. on the circumstances of that yeah. institution, the focus, the priorities, but what are some early stage steps that a continuing ed leader can take to begin to establish or begin to create a, a consolidated administration model at their own institutions? Well, it's, uh, to your point, it really depends on where they're coming from. Um, if they come from, oh, here's an existing continuing education unit that has been operating uh, on a certain campus with a certain level of autonomy, then it's more a question of how do we now open our platform mm -hmm. up to the rest of campus, even though they might be doing their own little things. That's a little bit the situation that we have at Berkeley, um, where one step was, for example, we actually just created a larger extended education division that also includes summer sessions, study abroad, uh, OSHA Lifelong Learning Institute, uh, as well as extension. And then within the extension, actually, um, how to say, formalize how to function as an academic department with the, the operational platform um, that is the student affairs, the, the registrar's office, the academic operations, centralize those and, and, and just literally map out, formalize the processes and then, how to say, document them and build systems how you can train and, and engage relay them to other academic departments. At that point you have extension academic departments functioning on the extension platform 
and any other academic department on campus can also, through the same processes, function on that platform. Um, you have other um, approaches that are also quite interesting where uh, somewhat similar, um, but maybe more radical. Uh, for example, um, University of Chicago really just kept the Graham School as like this integral um, lifelong learning school mm -hmm. with a very specific mission, its original mission of uh, providing access to liberal arts education to people throughout their entire life. And then this function that I just described, which is like the support function, really just became a support service, professional right. studies, professional education, that then is, is doesn't have to deal with any internal issues. They, they're just like, we are a service, period, and they right. take that approach. Um, if you're in an institution where it's, it is currently completely decentralized and you get the mandate to centralize it, I, I think that is probably one of the, the most difficult perspectives. Yes. Um, on the other hand, you have the advantage that you don't have to consider what are you doing with your own academic department. So no. it, it comes down to um, working with the rest of campus leadership and campus people and engaged people on campus to make them understand that you just have expertise that will allow them to be much more effective, that you can de-risk what they are doing, that you can uh, make their lives better, easier, and, and uh, generate win-win situations all around. Absolutely. Well, Frederick, I mean, that pretty much does it on my end. Now, before we close, I, I'm always curious, if, if someone was to find themselves in, in your town, so, I mean, hell, the San, San Francisco, Berkeley specifically, yeah. what would, what, where, where should they go for dinner? What would be your recommendation? I mean, a really quirky, typical Berkeley place is actually in a like, square in the downtown of Berkeley, um, which is the Jupiter Bar. And it's, it's very typical because if you look at it from the outside, you're just like, mm-hmm, okay, not so inviting. But then you walk like through this little corridor into the back and you find yourself on this amazing, beautiful patio with like a fireplace in the middle and, and all this nice vegetation, like the Californian yeah. vegetation. And they make the best like California pizzas. And here. it's such a nice, nice little place and, and very typical. Uh, and so you get the quirkiness and, and the... Uh, the nice aspects of Berkeley there. Oh, that's awesome. So the name one more time? It's the Jupiter Bar. Jupiter Bar, beautiful. Frederick, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, I really appreciate it. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and The Evolution. The Modern Campus Engagement Platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result? Innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner life cycle that engages modern learners for life, while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.